Hello everybody and welcome back to Blockchain Won't Save the World on tour. This episode takes us to the UAE, a country formed of seven individually governed emirates, of which Dubai and Abu Dhabi are probably the most well known. The UAE may be one of the hottest nations right now for blockchain, with aggressive national blockchain strategies, a number of free zones competing for blockchain startups, and an unquenchable thirst for blockchain talent. The UAE is not just a tax haven for crypto OGs. It's taking meaningful steps to lead the world in enterprise and government adoption, progressive regulation, and investment in developing a strong blockchain community domestically. This episode is packed with use cases, unique stories from startups and enterprises, free zones and VCs, lawyers and ambassadors, locals and expats. If you want to understand how blockchain is moving in the world today, you need to listen to this. We start with the unusual history of blockchain in the UAE, introduced by Faisal Al-Hawi, head of accelerators at Dubai Future Foundation, Maria Vovchok, journalist and MD of the World of Web3 Summit, Jorge Carrasco, director of emerging tech at Etisalat, and Marwan Al-Zaruni, the CEO of the Dubai Blockchain Center. When it first started, it was just like everyone else. It all started with Bitcoin. It wasn't anything about blockchain per se, but that led to the curious minds to really understand the underlying technology of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and so on. Dubai being Dubai and progressive government in terms of really understanding these technologies and really embedding them in their journey of digitalization and so on. It started to ask a question, how could we utilize this technology? So that was around 2000. 12, 2013 at that mark. Out of that series of workshops, which were conducted with industry leaders, uh, private sector institutions, startups at the time, and experts in the field, emerged some sort of a strategy framework that could guide the entire agenda of Dubai when it comes to blockchain. And that created or established the blockchain strategy of Dubai, which had a very grand vision of really transforming all applicable transactions to be on the blockchain by 2020. And as always, this is a very grand vision that Dubai has set. And then all of the players in the Dubai ecosystem created their own implementation plans, um, really looked into different use cases to really understand how this technology could support the overall business objectives of each of these sectors and entities. This is where it really picked up. At the beginning of it, there was a big barrier of entry when it comes to understanding the technology and how it really applies to our use cases, our sectors, our industries, and so on. But that took some time until you know the right skill sets were in place, the right thinking was in place, also the right you know buy-in from top-level management to really understand the ROI of these technologies and so on. But once that has settled, then the real use cases started flourishing, started to be more tangible in terms of returns and so on. And I would say somewhere between 2018 to 2020 is where it really hit the production scale uh, with a couple of use cases that really ended up being deployed at a large scale at the Dubai government level. People here are open to embrace the new technologies. If we look through at the history of Dubai, we'll see that already in 2016, when I just like started as well, like hearing about the uh, blockchain buzz at the time, and when I just like heard about this thing, 
they actually already started to work on its Dubai blockchain strategy and also Emirates blockchain strategy. It was supposed to be end as well in 2020. The only reason, of course, was a bit delayed because of the COVID thing. But at the same time, when we analyze this, we can understand that this strategy was there aiming to capitalize the blockchain technology. And in such a way, it could transform over 50% of government transactions into uh, the blockchain platform by 2021. It was introduced by the, at that time, Dubai Future Foundation, together with, if I'm not mistaken, Dubai Smart Office, to actually make Dubai the happiest city on earth. In this case, the strategy will be using like three major strategic pillars. So government efficiency, industry creation, and international leadership. So for this as well, they created this Global Blockchain Council, which was set up to explore, discuss current and future applications and organize transactions through the blockchain platform in this case. It would help to facilitate many transactions within various sectors of financial and uh, non-financial sectors. And in this case as well, increase efficiency and reliability levels it's one thing when you actually learn something like from the articles, from interviewing people, but then you also, you're getting into this atmosphere and you can see already where blockchain-based projects in UE are already implemented. So there is was really interesting vehicles, history of blockchain projects, which is called Roads and Transport Authority. And they were working on projects to create a vehicle life cycle management system. And actually, this project would provide car manufacturer, dealers, et cetera, regulators, uh, sellers, buyers with a transparent record about the vehicle's history from the manufacturer. So this is like one of the like, greatest examples in terms of supply management, et cetera, et cetera. And this is just one of the parts. For the first time ever, the regulations were changed that right now cryptocurrencies would be already considered not as a medium of exchange because, of course, the central currency, which is their harm here, is still considered a medium of exchange, but already the crypto would be considered as an asset which holds the money's value. Then when I saw really with DIFC, with the rise of even some crypto companies setting up here to buy blockchain center, for them, it's also really important to facilitate, to help the crypto businesses, to explain them, to educate them. DIFC helping crypto businesses to set up for the first time ever, there's opportunity that in Dubai, the crypto exchange will be set up not only because it's not possible in DIFC, but on mainland, then DMCC with CV Labs and other also helping to facilitate businesses. And moreover, ADGM already working up with the first crypto exchanges setting up there. This is, of course, in Abu Dhabi. Just the news which came up earlier that the first ever Bitcoin fund was set up here. When you actually follow this news, when you see, oh, and just like the other day, maybe two days ago, that the Securities and Commodities Authority, they signed the deal with Dubai World Trade Center Authority to support trading of crypto assets in the free zone, because probably already everybody knows that UAE, in this case, continues to develop its digital economy. So when you actually analyze all of this news, and for me, with my background as a journalist, this is like all the time overwhelming in a good way. In UAE, this is a history of a race in many aspects, right? But in blockchain as well, to become the first, the boldest, the smartest country in the world. So in the mindset of the leaders of this country, 
is always to bring the United Arab Emirates to the forefront of these emerging technologies. And blockchain became one of them four or five years ago, I would say, even before they were focusing on artificial intelligence, etc. They were giving a big push to blockchain. It was in 2016, October 2016, that Dubai released the Dubai Blockchain Strategy, which means that they were thinking on that even before that. And the slogan of this strategy was, Dubai will be the first city in the world to conduct applicable government transactions via blockchain by 2020. So this four-year milestone was like preparing for the Olympics. There was a goal, there was a deadline, and immediately the Smart Dubai office started working on it. They started organizing workshops, connecting minds, putting the tools in place and, and, and facilitating it at the end. So in November 2019, almost before the target, the Dubai blockchain policy was released and it was early 2020 where Smart Dubai did a great event to show the achievements. So they showed around 25 projects, more than 100 companies that were established in Dubai. So if they didn't achieve the, the target, they, they got very close. Also at a federal level and in parallel around 2016, it was released the UAE blockchain strategy 2021. So they were giving uh, the target to this year and that was released with the slogan of uh, transforming 50% of the government transactions using blockchain by 2021. Again, they gave targets of government savings coming out of these printed documents that will be eliminated, working hours that were saved and uh, many projects came out of this from the government and they are still in use. But of course, many other were abandoned or didn't pass the proof of concept stage. But at least they allowed for many cases to be tested, to create awareness and all that obviously filtered to the private community as well. Imagine these companies hearing about blockchain left and right. So this created an interest for this great technology and step by step that turned into discussions, then POCs and then implementations, of course. If you look at the Dubai scene within blockchain and crypto, you will see like a huge shift in what we've had post-2018 and pre-2018. So pre-2018, we saw a lot of these ICOs and scams and a lot of these devious kind of projects showing up. Uh, because like with any technology, the first people who jump on it could be amazing people. It could be the people jumping in for the wrong reasons. So that's what we've seen at that time. But right now, we actually see much more amazing projects, amazing ideas, and especially with the, within the DeFi and NFT space, we see amazing use cases that are popping up in Dubai, whether it is for art, for a virtual land, a metaverse, or other physical NFTs. Uh, it is really an amazing time and a place to be right now in Dubai. You hear a lot of people describe the UAE as a melting pot of talent from all corners of the globe. So what does the blockchain community look like in such a diverse country? Skirting across government, enterprise and crypto, we hear from Ahmed Al-Balagi, co-founder at Biconomy, Fatma Al-Safdi, head of blockchain products at Do, and more from Jorge and Faisal. It's definitely a mixture of business-minded people. People are really good at marketing. Those who quite recently, and what I've seen, are those who have you know, made it in crypto and now are retiring in Dubai. <laughs> and of course, you, know, you have the community or the people that are 
either the regulators or either government or are those who are working closely with the government as well to sort of really establish best practices. And so it's really nice to see all of these different pockets and they've been merging quite a bit as well. A lot of it is really from legal operations marketing and really BD. I'd say we are slowly seeing a bit more of a tech community brewing as well because you've had quite a few entrepreneurs as well who have left their places of residence to Dubai for a variety of reasons because it's safer you know and even COVID as well was a factor and so we're seeing more the technical co-founders of certain projects going to Dubai such as you know the Polygon founders and and even like other DeFi projects I've met and I've seen as well it's interesting to see that community also starting to grow and it's great because around two years ago there was only one pocket of the crypto community, but now we're seeing a way more well-rounded community that comprises of just different brains and minds and backgrounds. In the UAE right now, it's quite difficult to keep up with all what is going on. The appetite to explore this technology, first of all, as you mentioned, attracted numerous events, but also created many others, like, for example, the, the Future Blockchain Summit. I think uh, this is very well known by now. But all of this is surrounded by multiple innovation challenges from Dubai Future Foundation, hackathons. We also have public-private forums that were created as well, such as the Global Blockchain Council. That is a UA thing. And uh, this council have presence from big technology companies, such as Microsoft, SAP, IBM, or Cisco but also important local companies such as DMCC that now has a crypto center. It's called like a crypto valley here locally. Dubai Holding, which is one of the main companies here as well. Emirates MBD, one of the most important banks. Souk.com, which was acquired later by Amazon or Karim, which was later acquired by Uber. All of them were and are participating of this council. Then the Government Blockchain Association, which is a global one, they have their Dubai chapter with regular meetings, webinars, etc. We have meetup groups. The Sheikh Sayed Al Nayan, who is from Abu Dhabi Royal Family, became a regional ambassador for the Global Blockchain Business Council, the GBBC, that is headquartered in New York. And as we speak, we are in the middle of a blockchain week right now here, which is hosted by the Dubai International Financial Center, and they are hosting a series of events fully dedicated to blockchain, to DeFi, to NFTs. More on the crypto front, every week, there are multiple gatherings and events around the topic that we have Telegram groups, WhatsApp groups, which are talking about investment opportunities. We have the Dubai coin as well, that uh, in, back in May went up a thousand percent in a day. Also, there are family office investment summits organized by the Ritosa family office that is headquartered in Dubai as well. UAE is the hub of the blockchain. Seriously, every week we have more than two events talking about blockchain in general, what is even blockchain 101 or blockchain advanced level, how to start trading in cryptocurrency or even whatever level on blockchain, talking about the technology and how this one is uh, involved in the education and in the community as well. There are so many workshops and community meetups, you know, talking about blockchain, not only events, but also workshops and community meetups, talking about the blockchain startups, even how to initiate a new startup company on blockchain, how to get the investment funds and so on. Talking about universities as well, there are two local universities 
they support the adoption of the technology from the first year until the graduation. One of them is the Khalifa University in Abu Dhabi, and another one is Zayed University here in Dubai. Adding this kind of technology in the student research, so we have a lot of uh, students coming to us asking for you know, support in their research and in, in providing some case studies and so on. As I mentioned in the beginning, yes, I see UAE is the hub of blockchain. As uh, His Highness uh, said, UAE is not a country in the world, but it is the world in the country. Not only the blockchain, but all the emerging technologies. I remember at some point in time, every invite that I used to get through Eventbrite or Meetup and so on was somehow to do with blockchain. A lot of organic groups formed from there. And then like people meet up in different venues and organizations and so on. It wasn't only done organically. So I think the community was created bottom up with the experts and people who are like have relocated to Dubai to really be part of this journey. But also it was created some sort of a nudge from the leading entities across the government and private sector. So the establishment of the Future Blockchain Summit, for example, which is the largest blockchain gathering in MENA, um, which happens every year. This was also kind of like a catalyst to create these communities and then sub-communities emerged from that. The opportunities that government would announce as part of the Future Blockchain Summit was positioned on a global scale. So, for example, we've run three different cohorts of the Global Blockchain Challenge. It was in partnership with Smart Dubai and the Dubai Future Foundation to really attract the best startups from around the world that are, you know, solving problems utilizing the technology of blockchain to really position them in Dubai open up opportunities for businesses with government and so on, and really connect them with the ecosystem when it comes to investors, accelerators, and bridging the talent here. So I think the community is doing really good. The establishment of the Dubai Blockchain Center as well really helped. So the Dubai Blockchain Center is located in area 2071 in Emirates Towers. And it's, you know, one of the six centers around the world that really pushes the agenda of the community of blockchain, establishes these connections and business opportunities between industry, government, talent, and so on. A lot of the things that are in place for the community is really doing well, and I think it's just growing and growing. Blockchain So let's get specific. We hear about some of the best-known blockchain use cases in the UAE from Lara Abdulmalak, Editor-in-Chief at Unlock Blockchain, Anthony Butler, IBM's Head of Blockchain for the MENA region, and another back-to-back from Jorge and Faisal. One of the biggest things that got UAE on the map in terms of blockchain was the fact that it was supported by government. One of the first big projects was what Smart Dubai did with several governmental entities in the UAE using blockchain. And the first one that really pops up to mind was when they put all the financial procurement and settling, sorry, of finances on the blockchain. And they created the blockchain as a service platform. So I think that was one of the first big announcements and big achievements, you know, in terms of use cases that were done. And it was followed by many others. We can talk about the, the EKYC that's going on right now between DIFC and DP World and other entities. 
you know, now for Expo 2020, the police department now, if you lose your passport, you can get it back and, and you can get the process running in less than 24 hours because they've built something on the blockchain. And this is going to be very important for people coming to see Expo 2020 and so forth. So there's so many of these projects, use cases that were happening within uh, the UAE on the governmental side. And then you saw from that that you had companies start to do their own blockchain projects. I mean, look at Carrefour today that want to do the food traceability, Carrefour UAE, after following what Carrefour Worldwide is doing. And you have so many others. The list goes on and on. One of the best examples and probably the largest blockchain network in the country is, is called UA Trade Connect. UTC is a blockchain network for trade finance uh, of the likes of eTrade Connect, Contour, or Marco Polo, which was launched back in April, and it onboarded initially seven of the biggest uh, UA banks here. These banks, by joining the initiative, they were trying to kind of level up the financing opportunities in the UAE by using blockchain. And the use case is very simple. These banks, they want to check if an invoice presented by a company to get financing has already been financed by any other bank. This means that the banks need to know about what other banks are doing. So without cryptography, without hashes, or without blockchain, this could have been way more difficult to achieve because we are talking about financial institutions. And this is the first use case. The, the, the network that is born out of this is meant to expand to, to other use cases related with trades initially. Another good example is the use of blockchain by our oil and gas companies uh, to track and trace the hydrocarbon supply chain. I think this is done by other uh, petrol companies all over the world. Another good example for the blockchain implementation is by Dubai Customs for e-commerce goods. E-commerce is very big in UAE, but also UAE is a hub for many e-commerce international transactions. So there is a challenge because there are many returned goods in this e-commerce and they need to track the custom duties for them. So now thanks to blockchain, these transactions can be easily traced and avoid the duplication of custom fees. Another use case is what Carrefour is doing about food traceability. Now you can go to our Carrefour in Mall of Emirates and uh, this project is still in infant stages, but now you can go there and scan a barcode on a couple of fresh product categories and it will tell you the whole story about that product. And the last one I would mention is some universities in the UAE are already issuing digital certificates for their students uh, using blockchain. This allows them for easy verifications by third parties about the authenticity of these uh, certificates. Across Dubai government, of course, different entities are looking at different uh, use cases in their respective sectors. So you have the RTA looking at use cases when it comes to the transport, DUA, for example, is looking at it from an energy and sustainability perspective. You have Dubai police looking at it from security and safety perspective and so on. The role of the custodian entity for the blockchain strategy of Dubai was Dubai Digital. And they were like overseeing the entire implementation of the strategy across Dubai government. So a lot of the use cases were going through Dubai Digital to really be vetted, just to understand that it's, it makes sense. It would support the entire uh, agenda of blockchain and digitalization of Dubai government. It would also go there to ensure that the proper interoperability and 
to prevent any duplication of work and so on is also not there as we speak. So that was the leading entity when it comes to implementing the strategy itself. Now, in Dubai Future Foundation, of course, just like any other entity, we've also looked at it from different perspectives. However, being positioned as an entity on the verge of being local slash global when it comes to our interactions and technology partnerships and so on, our uh, contribution was a bit more on the global side of things. So a couple of use cases that we've done or we've explored was through our center of fourth industrial revolution, which is the first affiliate center of the World Economic Forum in the region. So we've done a series of workshops, again, with the industry leaders and so on to produce a toolkit that really allows any player in the ecosystem, be it government or private sector, also the policymakers to really understand how to think of a use case when it comes to blockchain. So that's the kind of work we've set in place to enable this to even fast track even more, rather than going at it from an industry perspective or sector specific use cases, which was completely handled by you know respective entities. We've looked at it from a policy perspective. We've looked at it from an enablement perspective and so on. Different working groups were established, like working group with the banks, working group with the supply chain logistics partners and so on. But the objective of the toolkit was really to enable everybody to think along the same lines and to make sure that we take everything into consideration when constructing a use case for blockchain. So there's there's a lot of government-related use cases, so things related to digitization of different government processes. That's one category. And that, again, goes back to the, to the genesis of the, the blockchain strategy and, and how blockchain really came to this part of the world. The second area that we see, and again, this is something that has really, really accelerated after COVID, is a huge amount of activity focused on supply chain. So how do we use distributed ledger technology to build greater visibility and traceability into supply chains? And how do we solve some of the systemic problems that came to the fore during the, the early days of the COVID pandemic? So we see a lot of activity within the supply chain space. And then if we look at it from a digital assets, tokenization space, again, there are quite a number of startups and quite a number of projects that are, that are looking from that perspective. If I give an example of something very innovative that was born in the UAE and also in Saudi, I think the work that the Central Bank of UAE did in partnership with the Saudi Central Bank, SAMA, around central bank digital currency and using that as an instrument of cross-border settlement. I think that's a very good example of the type of innovation that's happening out of this part of the world. You know we always like to go deeper on the show, so here's a selection of six unique stories from remarkable organizations in the UAE blockchain scene. You'll hear from Marwan on the role of the Dubai Blockchain Center, from James Bernard on the evolution of the Dubai Multi-Commodity Center, from Fatma about developing blockchain products within a telco, such as Do, Ahmed on the Web3 and startup journey of Biconomy, Hubertus Tonhauser explains what Tezos Foundation is doing in the region, and finally, Melanie Moore on taking word of mouth protocol from Europe to the Middle East. So uh, Dubai Blockchain Center was uh, actually inaugurated in 2018 by His Highness Sheikh Mohammed within an area called Area 2071, which is a physical area within Emirates Towers, which is the actual melting pot where academia, startups, the government, and all the thought leaders within the community meet actually to create great projects, whether that's in the technology or usability or biotech or any other aspect of life in the UAE. The whole goal is to create 
a community and an ecosystem that can take Dubai to its goals in the future, as well as help the UAE achieve its happiness goals within the community and create this collision space between creators, innovators, government and regulation people. It all can end up creating amazing stuff. And this is what has been happening already within the blockchain space, as well as in the larger government and ecosystem within Dubai. DMCC is the Dubai Multi-Commodity Center. We were established back in 2002. The acronym is used a lot more than the full name because although we started life very much with a mandate to increase commodity trade flow through the region, it was too limiting into what we were doing. So although we have a very strong focus on the commodity sector, we also are involved in a lot of other things, and therefore the DMCC name is, is, is used more often. In, in terms of what we do, we're an economic zone, a free zone, so we are a licensing authority. We're also a property developer, and we have a, a sort of third pillar, which is commodities and financial services, where we build and offer infrastructure across different sectors, products and services to help companies in, I say, specific sectors, such as it started with diamonds and gold at the very beginning. So we have diamond and gold vaults. We have trading floors. We have futures and options contracts on our derivatives exchange for these products. We then went on to coffee and tea. So we provide facilities for both of those sectors. And really through throughout the years, we've being able to create these marketplaces and ecosystems where companies can come from anywhere in the world and either get into that sector and build or grow from where they are and find new markets across the Middle East. And that's really helped us to recognize what we needed to do in the blockchain and crypto space. So we don't want to interfere in the industry too much ourselves. What we want to do is we want to establish infrastructure maybe that's just property at this stage you know co-working spaces accelerators incubators and to build a community where all of the different parts are available to individuals and companies coming in they can get mentorship they can get training they learn from the other companies there and that's that's really the ethos behind our crypto center which is our joint venture with CV Labs and CVVC from, from Switzerland, which is doing so well. I think we have around 100 plus companies there, but you can imagine the interest. And Dubai seems to be the real epicenter of what's happening in the blockchain and crypto space at the moment. And we've only been doing this since I think we signed our agreement at the beginning of 2020 in Davos. So it's been a very short time frame, and we seem to have been able to really work with the other departments. And we all work very closely together to, to really make the UAE into what it is, uh, what it can be. Do is a telecommunication organization. It is one of the biggest two in the UAE. And here we have a new business innovation division, which is the digital entity of Do. And we are in NBI, we are looking for the new innovative technologies and um, the interesting technologies like blockchain, AI, IoT, and so on. And we support actually government, federal entities, and B2B solutions in how to adapt to new technologies like blockchain and others. From here, we started building a full stack blockchain service. We call it Blockchain Edge, which is the full umbrella of how to adapt a new use case from the identification or the ideation to the execution. We started with the regulation, which is the first thing we have to uh, consider. So the UAE 
regulation, the international regulation like ISO. And we supported multiple DLTs. So um, if we are talking about technology, we have Fabric, we have Corda, we have BISO and so on. And we supported the full stack, which is not only the infrastructure, the blockchain catalog, but also how to build a smart contract, how to build the use case and to integrate with other government entities. The approach was easy end-to-end, as I mentioned, how to provide the uh, onboarding toolkit for the government entities, but also provide awareness, technology awareness. What is the value add for the government entities, for the federal entities on blockchain, and which use case will be actually beneficial for them, and how to scale, and how to apply the highest quality and onboard the new stakeholders on this network. That was the most important thing that we considered. So uh, mentioning remarkable life use cases, we have the unified business registry, which is with Dubai Economy, one of the biggest government entities here in Dubai, which is exchanging the trade license information between different free zones in the UAE. But not only that, seven banks are connected on this network, which is the KYC network or Know Your Customer Network. And the value added for this integration is when the end user or the you know the startup company where they register their company first and they want to get their trade license registered under DED or Dubai Economy, they will, yes, immediately get the trade license, but also immediately they will be able to select which bank they want to open their bank account for the entire company and then they register it. And the full cycle is automated from the back end on blockchain. Also talking about another live use case, which is announced early this year with Dubai Airport Free Zone Authority, DAVSA, which is building the uh, or automating the entire cycle of issuing the NOC document or no objection certificate between DAVSA as a free zone and other government entities. So again, it is the single window initiative, which means the end users or the uh, startup organizations registered under DAVSA, they will be able to apply on NOC document from different other government entities using DAVSA's window. From the back end, all the automation is done, all the payment settlement, reconciliation, everything will be completed. Furthermore, we have another interesting use case, which is with Dubai Civil Defense, on how to automate the payment settlement between DCD and other government entities. Talking more about another use case, which is again with Dubai's Aviation Authority, not only joining the unified business registry and consuming the data, but also integrating with other networks like the NOC and the KYC. We see the value to the government entities and to the end user, how this one reducing the time, the cost, the operational cost and the business operation on the other government entities by being all connected in one blockchain network using the DLT or private blockchain networks. By economy is a multi-chain transaction infrastructure which simplifies the, the user experience on Web3. What that basically means is we provide tooling for developers, which enables gasless transactions. So the idea is that here end users don't have to pay gas fees. The DAP would pay the gas fees on behalf of end users. So think of it as an analogy. When you're on Netflix, you don't have to pay their AWS fees for every time you press play video, right? And so for us, gasless transactions was this key onboarding process that we thought would be really important. So that's one of the services that we provide. And we also provide instant cross-chain transfer services as well. So end users could easily send their funds from one chain to another very quickly and very easily. 
And so for us, our whole thesis is all about how can we make Web3 as frictionless as possible? I was very fortunate to be part of the Dubai Blockchain Center. They supported us with office space. They supported us with connections, you know, all over whenever needed. And uh, we managed to get really cool permanent space in Area 2071, which is basically a part of the Dubai Future Foundation. And right now, our team is actually dispersed across the UAE, the UK, and India. And we also actually have one or two more in Canada and the US as well. In terms of running a crypto startup per se, at least two-ish years ago, is a bit harder because of you usually have, I'd say, lots of obstacles when it comes to sort of actually opening a bank account. If you say you're a crypto startup, then there's quite a few roadblocks in the way. But right now, it looks like with all the initiatives that we're seeing from the DMCC, you know, regulators actually being a bit more active towards crypto, which is actually really positive to see. It looks like it's becoming easier. For starters, Tezos is a delegated proof-of-stake blockchain, uh, layer one protocol, and has been launched in 2018, has some very specific technological features that distinguishes it from the incumbent blockchains. One, for instance, is a programming language itself, OCaml and Mickelson, which are leveraging formal verification, which allows a, a very kind of safe way to of programming. This is basically a technology which has been used uh, in the nuclear, aerospace, and semiconductor industries in the past. And this allows for a very secure base layer of the programming language and of the blockchain itself. The other main feature of Tezos is that it's, um, it's basically upgradable without uh, the necessity to fork it. So there is an on-chain governance system which is unique in the industry where the community can propose and also, by the way, get rewarded for protocol upgrades. Basically, the, the blockchain is upgraded during the flight, which is unique in the industry. And we've already done seven of these upgrades, the recent one called Granada. The main features of the Granada, for instance, was that the, the gas consumption fees for smart contracts has been reduced by about six times. There was also liquidity baking introduced, which basically means a small amount of TES per block and deposits that in, inside of a smart contracts that are used for market making. And that uh, incentivizes then the liquidity between currency pair Tezos and wrapped um, BTC. So basically, it's a wrapped Bitcoin or the Tezos. It's a way to, to create, to be innovative and uh, create liquidity for that pair. That's just an example for the protocol upgrades. The NFT space is one of the main use cases at the moment for Tezos. Another one um, used to be the whole tokenization of real-world assets. We have been one of the first getting involved in tokenization of REITs and um, uh, property projects. There are a couple of projects, even here in the region, like SmartCrowd, for instance, who build on Tezos and who are fully regulated by the DFC and who basically offer the fractional ownership of real estate to retail customers in a regulated environment. Obviously, the main mission of the Tezos Foundation is to make sure that the Tezos protocol is proliferating. It's being used. So what we do, obviously, uh, not only in the UAE, but all over the world, we try to fund local entities who then have the task to create Tezos adoption in their respective region. Tezos Gulf, the entity here in the region, has been very successful in tapping into the local network of platforms, of software companies, of blockchain-related use cases of different sorts, teach them how to use Tezos, show them the advantages of working with the Tezos protocol itself, help these entities to tap into the worldwide Tezos ecosystem. They have mainly a business development adoption role, 
But as we're talking about a technical product here, it's obviously an engineering-related endeavor. So we have an engineering team here as well that is connected to the teams within the physical ecosystem around the world and basically leverages that network to the benefit of the local users, uh, if you want, or partners that use the Tesla's chain. The WOM protocol is marketing infrastructure technology that is delivering a fairer share for content creators, adding a new revenue stream for publishing platforms besides the advertising revenue stream. Our revenue stream that we are delivering is based around word of mouth marketing. We have created a whole infrastructure around authenticating word of mouth product recommendations from real customers and allowing brands and advertisers to get access to this content and use it on all sorts of publishing platforms, also in the e-commerce environment. And with it, we try to solve all these issues that people don't want to see ads anymore, that creators are not fairly rewarded for the content and that platforms sometimes need to annoy their users with all the ads that are coming in between. And we believe that word of mouth content, when people are recommending products to each other, is just the best form of marketing. And out of this project building, I was also as a female entrepreneur in tech and now in blockchain tech, also speaking at a lot of conferences across the globe, also here in the UAE and also met wonderful investors here. And I'm very happy to be able to say as a female entrepreneur in tech that I managed to get also a backing and funding here out of the region. And that's why I, at the end, also decided to help strengthen the ecosystem here in UAE with my expertise and with some fabulous other partners like CV Labs from Switzerland. This next section was curated to help you guys get a deeper understanding of what it takes to scale the non-technical side of blockchain and some of the critical disciplines that are needed to scale in enterprise, Web3 and crypto. We start with the interesting concept of free zones and how specific areas even within certain emirates are competing for blockchain talent. We hear from Alexia Hefty, partner at the Abed Group, Anthony, Lara and long-term veteran of this show, Irina Heva from Keystone Law. Dubai is definitely where you have a lot more of the crypto excitement uh, happening. So a lot of people, when they come to visit, they go there. What we're trying to build here, as Abu Dhabi has made a commitment to branding itself as a new city with a label, and that label has not been defined as of yet, we're taking this opportunity to bring to the people who are crafting that image the messaging of how about we make this a hub for blockchain? How about we make Abu Dhabi maybe a hub for technology at large? But for us, obviously our passion is blockchain and we're making that commitment by bringing in the people. And so now hopefully Abu Dhabi may kind of latch onto that and say, okay, what kind of resources do we need to put in place to provide the environment for these people to want to stay here? Now, when I say crypto, of course, it's not just people who are in the crypto industry, ultimately blockchain at large is, is our objective. And I think that's really important as well 
following Expo 2020. So Expo is six months. It's ending next year in 2022 in April. And the government has made a commitment to making a blockchain campus of some of the land that had been identified for the pavilions or currently has pavilions on it. So that'll be very cool too, because now we're going to see, well, what is that blockchain campus going to entail? Is it simply going to be a place where we demonstrate the work that's being done in various government ministries with blockchain, or is it a place where we're going to create a hub that ultimately is dedicated to developing this technology? Because in the UAE, you have kind of what is the mainland, you have the free zones. And what we're seeing here is that there's interest in blockchain, not just in one or two free zones like DMCC with that collaboration with CV Labs, but there is also in ADGM in Abu Dhabi where the regulator has been putting progressive regulation in so that people can actually move here and know that they're not going to get into trouble because regulation exists for digital assets. So, you know, you're seeing across the board a lot of commitment to this technology, and that's really fantastic. If you ask me what advantage does the UAE have, that would be one of them, right? That you have through this free zone, special economic zones, you have the ability to experiment with things and, and constrain them, right? And mitigate some of the risk that would happen if you were to roll this out more broadly in an economy. So I think that's definitely one of the, the interesting things that the UAE has. And you can see like Abu Dhabi Global Markets, you can see DMCC, you can see DIFC, all of them are doing different things in this space, right? So I think that could emerge as one of the competitive advantages that the UAE has um, when it comes to blockchain more broadly, it's particularly when we're talking about financial applications of blockchain. Look at just the most recent announcement. One of the basic things they said is that we want to get a thousand crypto developers to come to the UAE or to work with the UAE per month. They're trying right now to resolve the basic issues that they had before. Take a look at the new regulations that are coming out. DMCC now has with the ESCA for onshore, uh, getting businesses onshore, whether they're crypto, blockchain, or other, DIFC, ADGM, even uh, the airport free zone is opening up businesses regulated in the crypto scene or in the blockchain scene. At the moment, UAE has over 50 free zones. A free zone is literally an area within an emirate where you can establish your business tax-free and without the use of, let's say, an Emirati business partner. So you it can be 100% foreign-owned. And the free zone business has proven to be so successful that we have over 50 of them. And each free zone has its own regulation, has its own, you know, little, little funny ways of doing things. And then, of course, there is a federal law. So ESCA, which is Emirates, Security and Community Authority issued a piece of legislation last year titling Regulating of Digital Assets. And in that law, they set out the businesses which are to be regulated by ESCA, for example, a business which is a crypto exchange or a crypto custody, or let's say if your business is promoting and marketing tokens, you know, let's say tokenized uh, project, whatever the tokenization is, can be a fund, can be a tokenization of a real estate. But I write ESCA a few times every now and again, asking when can my clients become regulated under this piece of legislation? And the answer is always, you know, not yet, not yet. We'll let you know. So the law is here. We'll let you know once the regulations are there in order for the companies to start being regulated. And that's a usual procedure. You have, a, you have law and then there is a regulation how to implement that law. Blockchain is 
Next up, it's the often cited but little understood issue of tax and legal compliance in blockchain. Why do startups spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on top-notch tax and legal professionals? Well, you're about to find out from some of the best in the business. We hear from Akshata Namjoshi, head of fintech blockchain and emerging tech at Calm Legal, as well as more from Irina and Alexia. We founded Karm three years ago, but the idea with the firm was to cater specifically to blockchain-based clients and emerging tech-based clients. Did a lot of work in tokenization sector. Uh, our initial few clients were in the ICO space. In addition to that, right now we are advising quite a few clients in the DAO NFT space. We have covered a, a major spectrum in this sector and still continue to, of course, explore what are the other areas that lawyers can come in. It's not just for DAOs and NFTs, but generally for blockchain sector. The regulations, to be honest, stop at a place of, of determining what your platform would be considered as in terms of licensing. Would it be considered as a trading facility or would it be like some kind of intermediary activity? Those are the kind of licenses which we see mostly in UAE and in other parts of the world. Similarly, for so far as tokens are concerned, I think you know there has been a significant amount of conversation around whether they're commodity or security or asset tokens. I think where we come in as lawyers is that there are a lot of aspects which go unnoticed, especially in cases of liability, when you're running a platform, especially in cases of any kind of potential intermediary activities, you may or may not be handling client funds. But if that is something that gets recognized as such in the future by a regulator, then again, you are, you know, that's, that's a concern. So there's a lot of work which goes around assessing any kind of potential risk. If there are any risks, then efficiently either entering into corporate structurings, which might reduce or hedge the risk, or disclaiming them, ring-fencing them in a fashion such that the entities are actually not overshooting and going beyond what probably their licenses or the law of the land suggests. So I think there's a lot of on-ground work which happens on a daily basis with the clients, which is challenging and exciting at the same time. Being a lawyer working in blockchain and crypto space, it's, I mean, it's no different. You're working with people, you're working with companies, you're working with governments, you're working with the regulators. When you start speaking to a new person about what you do, or you approach a new regulator about an issue, you do not know what sort of reaction you're going to get. With energy, it's always, you know, very neutral. Everybody drives a car, everybody needs fuel, everybody needs oil. But in the crypto space, you never know what you're going to get. You either get, uh, you know, so much hate and, you know, get kicked out, or you get, oh my God, I love this. And people start showing me their NFTs, their personal collections. And then they'll say, okay, this is my personal view, but from the regulator view, from the government view, you know, things are slightly different but we'll try to help you. And in terms of what projects I support, I work across the entire value chain. I work with miners, exchanges, custody solutions. I work with DeFi protocols, NFT artists. So basically look at the entire, entire, entire value chain of the crypto space. I have drafted crypto-related regulations for governments that got passed into law. I'm very proud about that. And I also worked with, you know, very innovative regulators when they wanted to run uh, the risk scenarios past me. I'm very, very proud about that as well. Just think about it from the very beginning. There's a business model. That business model needs to be legally compliant you know, to the extent possible in the crypto space. Then, for example, they raise funds, however they raise. It needs to be legally compliant to the extent possible. Then they are hiring advisors and employees, and they're hiring the board, and they're establishing the board, they're establishing corporations. Then here's a lawyer to make sure that you do it properly, you comply with the relevant legislation, because it's all great to be saying, hey, we're a blockchain business, we're out 
there in the, in the cyberspace, the local rules and regulations don't apply to us. That is not the case. If there is a corporation involved, there are shareholders. Uh, shareholders go into dispute with each other. We help with that. We make sure that shareholders do not end up in disputes through the proper structures. Also, dealing with government regulators, dealing with financial regulators. If, for example, your business is a, is a business to be licensed, like a crypto exchange. Think about it, you know, from birth to death. And I say death, probably a wrong word. So from birth to exit, because a couple of weeks ago, I was negotiating an M&A deal where one crypto company acquired another crypto company for quite a substantial amount of money. So the business was born. Three years later, the business was acquired by another business. And I was with them from the beginning to the end. The UAE is definitely a great jurisdiction if someone wants to run a crypto business, because ultimately there's no tax in the UAE. There's no personal tax and there's no corporate tax. So a 0% tax rate is definitely favorable to anyone who knows that the difficulties and challenges of running uh, businesses abroad, where you're constantly at odds with the tax authorities because they're not providing guidance or ultimately they come back five years later and tell you that Bitcoin should be treated a certain way or the business that you're doing from a crypto mining perspective should be taxed when mined versus when sold. It's constant struggles really for the crypto industry. And, and I can say as well from being a Canadian and having run the crypto tax practice in Canada, it was a gigantic business that we could actually run because the reality was that it was so complicated, particularly as we start to think about setting up subsidiaries in different countries or just the reality that, you know, crypto is an ether. So where does it really sit? All of those complexities basically get wiped out here in the UAE because there's no tax. Now, there's no tax, of course, on the corporate and personal income side, but there is value-added tax, which is a sales tax. It's a minor tax here in the UAE. It's 5%. And so truly, you know, that is something that you have to account for, particularly if you go over a certain threshold. And so businesses would have to take that into consideration. But it's so simple. You know, when I was nearly paying 50% tax in Canada, it wasn't so much the amount, because of course you get lots of benefits from the government for that, but more the tracking, that's an absolute disaster. So, you know, I'm sure you, like me, we invest in crypto and, you know, we make quick turnarounds when we decide we want to go into one coin or another, we may be Bitcoin hodlers for life, but the reality is you're still moving crypto buying, selling once in a while at least. And in certain jurisdictions, that's an absolute pain because you have to, in Canada, for example, you have to look at uh, the capital gains tax on your buying and selling. And, and that's really, honestly, it's just a headache. The reality is here in the UAE, when you know you get to freely be a part of the crypto community, you get to freely buy, sell, enjoy, learn, you know, learn through doing what is staking, what is this, what is farming, you know, you get to do all of that without thinking, oh my God, how am I going to track all of this? And am I going to get in trouble in 10 years when the governments use chain analysis to determine <laughs> that I actually bought and sold 4,000 times and wasn't able to track that because, you know, it was in 2013. Blockchain wird die Welt nicht retten. And what about the role of venture capital or VCs in blockchain? With billions of dollars of capital being directed towards Web3 from private individuals, why do we still need the traditional financiers to support our growing ecosystem? Here to explain the important role that VCs are playing is Hubertus, alongside Oliver von Wolf, Managing Director for Dubai at CVVC and CV Labs. 
I think in a traditional tech space, the VC space has been growing a lot since 2015, fueled obviously also by substantial support from sovereign wealth funds, particularly in the GCC, in other GCC countries like Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, but even in the UAE. There also there's more and more private capital flowing into these funds. Uh, we had outside of laboratory space, uh, there were a couple of interesting exits like Yahoo, Maktoub, Souk.com, which was sold to Amazon, or InstaShop, which was sold to Delivery Hero. In the blockchain space, however, this is very early. We had just in this year, the last 12 months, there were the first nine unicorns created on the worldwide scale in the blockchain industry. So let's not speak about unicorns in the, in the region here. It's way too early to do that. But what you find here, you have a lot of interest from private family office, from private investors to get into pre-sales of very interesting blockchain infrastructure startups. There is a lot of intelligence here in terms of assessing deals and tapping into this network. Let's not forget that the UAE, particularly here, offers a fantastic infrastructure off-chain. I mean, we have the most modern real estate infrastructure, retail infrastructure. There's a lot of use cases where blockchain could plug into at some point. Therefore, it's attractive for, for early-stage companies to raise funds from the region. I'm actually part of a family office-backed early-stage venture capital firm in the blockchain space called GAF Capital, and we are invested in very early pre-sale deals. And the thesis is really that we can provide to the entrepreneurs to support and help them to tap into the local network to get, you know, use cases up and running. So CV Labs in the UAE, it's uh, most likely the same, but CV Labs is in Switzerland, maybe with one different CV Labs in Dubai. It's a joint venture with the DMCC and DMCC is one of the world's number one free zones to be gateway to trade, like for free zones and developing of Dubai. And this is, I would say, one of the biggest differences that we have here, like a really partnership with an official authority. The MCC most likely have 20,000 companies onboarded in different uh, industrial areas, most likely also like commodity trading. And uh, the DMCC is a very progressive free zone in Dubai, which has a huge impact to the economy in Dubai. We have like six main focuses. That's uh, the first one is the co-working space. It's uh, the same, I would say, as in Liechtenstein and Vaduz. So companies which are onboarded under our umbrella, they have the opportunity here to rent out offices or like co-working space. The second one is the event part. So we participating not only in different summits and blockchain and crypto events here in Dubai, we also have a kind of initiative of um, making investor meetings, network meetings, and so on in Dubai. A third part is the education part. So we, on the one side, making web seminars with the people from the DMCC, with startups to help them to professionalize their business and also to kind of doing advertising for a blockchain and blockchain in the future. We have the incubation program. So it means that we also like working and investing in early startups with the advisory part and the excubation part. But I would say the first four sections are the biggest one what we have. <laughs> Bonus round. We're incredibly grateful to His Excellency Gabriel Abed, Ambassador of Barbados to the UAE, who shares his experience on the potential of blockchain technology to support bilateral relationships between different nations. 
and the many different initiatives that are already underway between governments that are leveraging blockchain technology today. This is partially why I'm over here in the United Arab Emirates and why a person of my history and that history being a blockchain entrepreneur and pioneer has taken on the role as an ambassador. And that's because Barbados has an agenda of wanting to move towards the digital space in a very aggressive way. Our theme at Expo 2020 at the Barbados Pavilion is from sugarcane to blockchain, in keeping with the idea that blockchain can enable a future of freedom for our people. So when we look at it from that context and we start to measure it from the perspective of diplomacy and bilateral relationships, it makes a lot of sense because when we think about things like cross-border currency swap agreements, could be wholesale CBDCs, when we start to think about it from the perspective of securities and stocks, custody and settlement and even digitization of the underlying assets, when we think about it from the perspective of diplomacy, what does the future of diplomacy look like between two nations? Is it something like embarking on a new type of embassy? And what does that embassy look like if you were to start imagining it from the digital perspective? There's definitely a lot of room for two nations to start collaborating. And that's one of the main areas of focus and interest from my particular role as the ambassador of Barbados to the UAE. One of our key objectives is to look at how we can share knowledge, transfer information on those various technological frontiers, looking at cross-border identification or sharing ID information. Is it looking at the aviation industry and how pilot data or pilot licenses are validated between two nations? You could really look at any particular area of interest from the perspective of how nations collaborate and imagine that the domestic utility of blockchain can now be applied between those two countries. And why Barbados is quite interesting in this context is because we're rather small. And it's because of that size that we, in theory, are a litmus test or a, a pilot. We are the perfect place to test out a technology. And the UAE is also small and nimble. And what makes both countries interesting is that the leadership in both nations understand that they have to move in this direction. They understand the implications to their economy and to their people. And they have the appetite to do it. So it, it lends for creating a new world order of where you can start seeing all types of innovative solutions come about that then can be rolled up and applied into other jurisdictions. The battle for blockchain talent has never been hotter than it is today in all the various disciplines. We hear the opportunities and challenges of sourcing talent in the UAE from Faisal, Ahmed, Anthony, and Hubertus. Talent is really one of my favorite topics to talk about and really to think of how to really position Dubai and the UAE for. And it goes in, in two perspectives. So there is a huge quote-unquote competition for the best talent out there. 
but there's also a huge shortage of talent. So there are two different and very distinct problems. But, you know, as we speak, the UAE is really going aggressively in order to really enable the environment and the ecosystem to attract the best talent. You've obviously followed the news of these new visa categories that were created specifically for talent. The first one came out immediately after the lockdown, which is the nomad visa, which really allows talent to work from anywhere around the world. And that that kind of like sets the scene of the entrepreneurial spirit of Dubai and really attracting talent to be part of its ecosystem. Uh, Recently, the announcement of the freelancer talent, the green visa, which really attracts talent in specific fields and so on. Going one level deeper, we also look at different categories of talent. So the announcement by His Excellency Umar Al-Ulama, the Minister of AI, Digital Economy and Remote Applications around the coders program and really attracting people that are very specialized in specific sectors, including blockchain development or Web3. So there's a highly targeted approach towards attracting talent in specialized sectors, but there's also kind of like a cross-cutting policy in motion to really enable talent in the environment and the ecosystem. And the objective there is very clear. Like we are on a strategy to really transform the UAE to be more of a knowledge-based economy and talent sits at the core of this. In terms of the talent, I sort of won't be around the bush. It's not a region where we actually have found a lot of our talent. It was actually, we actually had employees based elsewhere and they just moved to the UAE. We actually haven't sort of sourced someone from the UAE itself. And it is a big concern because talent, you know, at least when it comes to the crypto and blockchain space, it's a very specialized skill set that we're looking for, either when it comes to marketing, when it comes to tech, when it comes to BD. It's a very different skill set that lots of people, whether in the UAE or otherwise, right, they might have. And when they try and translate it to crypto, it's actually, it's not that easy. And we've actually tried this with a couple of folks as well. And it was very hard for them to transition. And these guys were either based in, in the UK or elsewhere. And it was hard for them to transition to the crypto world. I would say globally, it's a big challenge, but we still haven't managed to sort of source talent from the UAE in order to join our team. A lot of our team is actually based in India, where we have seen more promising talent. And that's been something that you know we could see in just traditional tech, right? But I am seeing more and more crypto companies coming out from the OE and it's great to see because it basically means there are either more entrepreneurs or more companies moving to the OE to set up base. So I think globally, there is definitely a war for talent. If you look back at the kind of the history of technology, it's almost like a pendulum that swings from right to left. There's a trend around offshoring. So using labor arbitrage to have clusters of capability sitting in in other countries. And then as technology becomes more of an enabler of business transformation, there's a greater demand to get those technologists closer to the market. You know, where we are from a blockchain perspective is very much at the point where there is a a demand for people in the market that have both business and technology related skills in in a blockchain context. And I think that's something that's happening globally. There is this demand and it's a challenge. There is a, a war for talent. But I think, you know, one thing that the UAE has done quite effectively is set up the right structures, the right incentives, the right programs to both create that talent locally, but also attract some of that global talent to this part of the world. 
if I look to the future, I think the UAE could definitely be a major hub and major source of talent that gets exported to other parts of the world and, and to the region more generally. Yeah, I think the bottom-up supply of talent usually comes from academia. I mean, this is obviously the United States and Europe are great in that. They have universities with curriculums that are kind of blockchain-related or that provide the foundation for engineers working on this technology. Here in the UAE, this is still in the very early stages, but I think it will come. It's just a matter of time. Let's not forget the UAE, like most of the GCC countries, they have a very young population. Over 60% of the population is below 30. So it's a very young society and people are very hungry to learn. And I think uh, they realize also the potential of this technology more and more. I think on the other hand, you mentioned CBVC. It's a great example. They have been instrumental in uh, building uh, the crypto value of the Swiss ecosystem. They are one of the largest, if not the largest incubator or platform for startups in the crypto space in Switzerland. And they recently have set up an office here in DMCC, the DMCC Crypto Center. And what basically we do with this is we want to create something called the Crypto Oasis, which is the synonym to the Crypto Valley. And it's the same thing. It's basically creating an ecosystem. It's not that we own this brand that we want to put ourselves in the forefront. It's really just to connect the dots and make sure that the local ecosystem is being leveraged in the best possible way by what has been created in Switzerland and elsewhere in order to serve it. And in terms of talent, I think for now, it's really more the importing of talent, right? UAE has a fantastic infrastructure in terms of entertainment, housing, uh, recreation, sports, apart from all the other elements like very business-friendly and safe environment in general. All that, I think, is very attractive for young people to move to Dubai. And especially from the beginning of the pandemic, we have seen a huge rise in talent in the tech space, and particularly also in the crypto space, to Dubai. And now, in the meantime, I mean, I personally have met uh, most of the original gangsters of this blockchain industry, you know, from the early 2010s. They all mainly have a foothold here in Dubai, either as residents or with their companies because of that. And I think this creates these network effects that ultimately will bring talent and also create the foundation layer for the academia to consider this space as relevant and to supply bottom-up, so to speak, the talent pool for the industry. Blockchain no va a salvar el mundo. And what about diversity in the desert? What can we learn about diversity in technology from a place that's been described as the whole world within a country? We hear from Akshata, Fatma, Melanie and Irina on the topic of diversity in blockchain in the UAE. In fact, UAE would probably be one of those countries which actually it has diversity in its foundation itself. Roughly 85% of the population is expatriate, which means that you will probably find citizens from each and every part of the world. In terms of diversity, in fact, we are a female-led organization. We were a majority female organization for the longest time. To be honest, I haven't really come across any kind of prejudice so far, and I consider myself lucky. The community has been so diverse that I would say that there is not much room for prejudice. You know, everyone is here to do a lot of good, add a lot of good commercial value, do good business, bring in the maximum amount of value that they can to the region and to themselves. So that way, I think it's very clear and it's it's very commercial in that nature, if I may put it that way. Talking about diversity and different cultures, even diversity from the men and women, in UE, it is 50-50 in everything. You can see uh, talents from uh, different regions, 
talents from US, talents from Middle East, talents from Europe, talents from even young age in 20s and 40s and in 50s. There is no restriction, there is no limit for innovation. And UAE as a country, they actually support this, regardless of women, men, regardless of uh, from where actually you started, regardless from your culture or your background. And this is known and it's actually supported by the country itself. Coming out of media, marketing and tech and now blockchain tech, there is always this issue of finding enough female tech developers. doesn't matter if it's blockchain or other tech, no matter where you are in this world, this is still missing. Good education, bringing girls and female founders into tech is everywhere an issue. I found the environment here super inviting. I actually have never felt or never really thought about, oh, I'm a female entrepreneur in tech. That never mattered here. And when I'm coming to all these gatherings, it's very diverse. Maybe it's not a 50-50, but I would say females here in this space, because it's also about, not only about technology, it's about marketing, branding, carving the messages in the right way. I, I would say there are a lot of females actually in this industry, maybe even more than in other technology sectors. So I spent half of my time in Switzerland and half of my time in Dubai. Before I moved to Switzerland last year, I was complaining that we do not have enough diverse founders, that it's so male and it's so white. And I arrived to Switzerland and then I actually realized that, oh my God, in Dubai, the community is super diverse. There's so many female founders. There's so many strong female leaders in the space. And there are female engineers at the the cross of nationalities and the genders and the you know sexual orientations and everything and in switzerland it's very male very white and very middle-aged so in comparison with switzerland i'm very very upset to uh, report that the uae is very diverse starting from the government positions there are so many uh, women in the federal government in the regional government in the emirate government there are female judges there are female ministers women founders and they come in different you know shapes sizes and colors it's actually very good the great thing about uae especially in the early days like for example i came here 13 years ago i was a very young lawyer but i was very very eager to do things and if you're eager to do things you have half a brain you will achieve really good things in the uae because opportunities are here and that's why i, I think That's why we have a situation where, you know, bright people across all genders and across all nationalities are making it. And of course, uh, let's not be naive here. We have a few bullshit artists coming here with pretenses of, you know, raising money from naive, wealthy Arabs. Those days are way gone. You know, it does just does not happen. Nobody throws money at you. It takes a lot of time to establish yourself because it's quite important to show that you're here for the long term, not for the you know short fun. And, but once you have established yourself, then you can rely on the support from the community, from the regulators, but it takes time to get there. If you're not already inspired by what's happening in the UAE, prepare for the grand finale. We've got some deep takes from Faisal, Gabriel, Akshata, Alexia, and Marwan, 
on what more is needed to accelerate blockchain adoption in the UAE and worldwide. If I put it this way, we basically need to let go of fear of failure and kind of like convert that to our advantage. We need to really double down on experimentation. We really need to establish more channels working with startups that are actually on the verge of innovation, like on the frontier of innovation. And we have to go about it in a very experimental approach. As government, it tends to be a bit challenging to work with technologies that are not very clear. They're not very clear in terms of ROI, clear in terms of effectiveness and efficiency and all of that. We need to establish more and more channels to really have these conversations with the likes of startups and talent from around the world and really bridge the gap between concept development and exploration of opportunities to really experimenting with it on ground. It could really start on a small scale and then prove the technology, prove the business model, and then grow it from there. A lot of the work that we do at the Dubai Future Foundation tries to address that. If I best describe the foundation is really a series of platforms that enable these government entities and startups to really talk to each other. So for example, the work that we do in the Dubai Future Accelerator is really to enable startups to reach decision makers in government and to showcase the most innovative technologies that otherwise wouldn't go through the typical procurement approach. I can't understate this. Education still needs to come about because while there is the appetite from majority of government, not all of the government or its people are educated in this topic. Education is paramount because it's from that position of understanding that you can then start to see why so many brilliant persons are touting the advantages of utilizing this technology. That's step one. That still has to come about because if you don't have that level of education, you won't have the full buy-in. If you don't have the full buy-in, then you won't necessarily get to see these projects move from either discussion to the pilots and then beyond that to actually becoming fully deployed. The other steps of it are understanding the legal and regulatory implications of taking on particular types of projects because at the end of the day, it's one thing for an entrepreneur or a private corporation to take on a level of risk. It's a whole different ball game when it's a nation. A nation has a level of responsibility to its people, to its economy, and to creating a stable way of life. And the risk-taking appetite is usually much less than that of a private entity. And therefore, a level of understanding of what type of responsible frameworks and infrastructure need to be put in place before certain types of projects can even be discussed, much less implemented. We do need more laws, which will probably take a soft law approach, which means that till the time we have a definitive licensing regime, probably like a principle-based approach as to what companies need to do, how, let's say, what, what kind of regulations they need to follow, just in terms of pure investor protection. Till the time where we figure out what exactly licenses you require for, for NFTs, for DAOs, for governance tokens, you know, so many different aspects which can have different indications. I think that might be a good start, not just for UAE, but generally globally, that might be a good start for most regulators because then the investors will have comfort, community will have more comfort, and probably startups are not wasting a lot of time just figuring out what licenses they require.
you may require more robust licenses, but as step one, it's sort of okay to have a principle-based regulation. Honestly, I think it would help if there was maybe a little more competition on the regulatory side. We have regulation from a free zone, which is the Abu Dhabi general markets in Abu Dhabi. It's very complicated to navigate and quite expensive. So the friends that I have that have been applying for the licenses on the crypto exchange side, you know, they've been in discussions for years with the regulators and they may be in kind of the soft launch of their license, but that's a lot of time and effort to put into helping the regulators put in regulation to essentially regulate you. And again, it's a lot of money. We're seeing a little bit of competition as more of the free zones start exploring. So uh, I have a couple of friends who've been in discussions with free zones that have said, we want to put in regulation to help you to bring business here. What do we have to do? So a lot of them are in these informal discussions with the various free zones, which is important. From a mainland perspective, I think the government also needs to kind of push that forward as well. Because again, it's really tricky to operate in an environment where it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars for the license, as well as a lot of hurdles. That being said, I'm not against regulation. Regulation is amazing. It helps us navigate the environment. I'm working with a lot of regulators in the Caribbean to help them push forward, uh, which is primarily where I do my work. But I think it's really, really important. One of the exchanges that's currently operating out of or getting a license has just spoke to me about how challenging this entire experience has been. That being said, what I have loved about the regulation that I've seen thus far in ADGM is that the regulators are so knowledgeable. I mean, these guys are on a different level to the regulators that I've spoken to across the world. Not across the world, because obviously Swiss regulators are very advanced. You know, certain regulators have that expertise, which makes it a lot easier when you're trying to establish a business. Singapore as well, we know that. But ADGM has definitely been on a different level, which has been fantastic. But I'd love to see either more competition or maybe more avenues to explore regulatory sandboxes in the different free zones and perhaps on the mainland as well that would allow us to maybe jump in as blockchain companies and say, look, uh, there's no regulation right now for us. Let's jump in the sandbox. Let the regulator learn from us hand in hand. But ultimately, you know, we're able to actually progress our businesses this way and not run afoul of what could potentially get put in place from a regulatory perspective. Now, what's exciting about that as well and what I've been working a lot in the Caribbean, as I mentioned, and have been speaking to regulators about integrating their sandboxes and ultimately creating regulatory bridges between the UAE and those sandboxes. So ultimately allowing companies that have entered into the sandbox in either nation to be able to operate in the other countries. But it also really allows for greater relationships to be created between nations that are based on new ideas and innovative principles such as blockchain. You know, why is it that diplomacy has to be so heavily focused on oil trade and whatever other commodities that need to be traded versus, well, why can't it be technology? Right now, I think we have reached a good maturity level, but I think to really reach this mass adoption level, we as regulators and we as communities around the world when it comes to cryptocurrency, we have to get away from looking at our own interests, which is growing the fastest way we can, to actually sitting together with regulators. Regulators and startups have to sit together, especially the big players right now in the space, have to really make some compromises, have to really open the dialogue with the regulators. Let's have jurisdictions where we actually reach a point where 
we can enable and we will enable mass adoption. It's only a matter of time. The, the sooner we work together, the faster that's going to happen. And I think we both on both sides, regulators and startups have to work together to reach this middle point and this compromise where we can actually have this crypto space regulated in a way that we can push forward. We can get, you know, your kids, your grandmas, your small mom and dad shop to accept crypto, to really know how to deal with it, to be a thing that we forget in the background. The utility of, of blockchain technology will then show, and it will become something that we never mentioned. Nobody mentions anything about HTTPS. Nobody mentions anything about FTP or TCP IP or anything like this. It's all in the background. People talk about apps themselves, like the Instagrams and the Snapchats and the World Wide Web or the browsers and things like that. These are what we should focus on when it comes to blockchain. Not blockchain technology, but what applications sit on top. Until we get this cohesion between regulators and founders, we're not going to get anywhere anytime soon. And this is the same argument we had with the beginning of the internet, by the way. There was a lot of censorship, a lot of people that were really scaremongering uh, the internet technology, saying that it will bring the whole world to you, good or bad. But until you tried it and until, until you dip your feet in, we didn't know the benefits. And now we are all reaping the benefits of that. And I think it's going to happen in the same exact way with blockchain, but it's going to be much more massive. The internet for money, that was the inf internet for information. And this is hugely transformative. And it's going to change the world, whether we like it or not, and whether governments like it or not. The governments who jump on it and regulate it first will be the early birds to this and will benefit dramatically. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there. To save the world, it needs so much. At the end, it needs a good human mindset, <laughs> no matter what technology you need.